0: Welcome to Workforce Water Cooler, presenting total talent solutions and insights impacting the labor market today. Brought to you by TRC. Welcome to the Workforce Water Cooler presented by TRC, the one-stop podcast for all your workforce questions and answers. Hey there, I'm your host, Chuck. And on the show today, we'll be discussing the ever-prevalent topic of retention and what companies can do to improve their engagement. Joining me for the conversation is Dick Finnegan, CEO of C Suite and the Finnegan Institute. He is the turnover expert and joins me today to help evaluate the current problems facing employers with regards to retaining their workforce. We'll also take a look at the current market trends and offer strategies and solutions to improve worker loyalty. So let's jump right in. Dick, welcome to the water cooler. Thanks, Chuck. Cool to be here. Well, before we jump into the topic at hand retention, I would like to ask a little bit about you personally. How did you get to be the turnover expert? What was the genesis of this foray into the world of human resource consulting? So Chuck, I'm a therapist
1: who became an HR executive. And when I was in HR, I had the dreaded moment of the CEO calling me in to say, turnovers high, HR go fix it. So I had an experience there, which I'll describe to you concisely, which led me to realize no one had ever invented a solution to cut employee turnover. So if you think about compensation in HR, there's a fix. You think about benefits, there's a process to follow. Hiring people, there's a process to follow. There's no process to follow to cut turnover, and there's no research-based way to do it that results in a solution. There's just not. There never has been. And so I got really turned on. What turned me on was I worked for a bank. This particular CEO had about 70, seven zero branches, and some of them had turnover as high as 75%, some as low as 15%. But if you think about the branch of a bank, it was the ideal test site for an experiment because the only variable is the manager. The shingles are the same. The furniture is the same. The pay is the same. The customers are the same the product's the same, the benefits, everything's the same, except the manager. When you looked and saw it was really high in this building and really low in that building, there was a clue. Typically, what HR would do is we would say, we're going to do engagement surveys and exit surveys and salary surveys and other things that in surveys. We're going to have employee focus groups. We're going to identify the thing or the five things that we're going to make this better. For example, if a focus group said the problem is recognition, we would have said, okay, employ the month, employee of the year, employee appreciation week, get the best parking space, for your employee of the month. Then we'll give you a backpack at five years and a clock at 10. And then turnover would have stayed the same. Engagement would have stayed the same because that's not what employees want. What we did instead was say, we got the managers together in small groups, showed them a bunch of data and said, we're going to ask you to accept a goal to cut turnover. We're not going to change pay. We're not going to have more training. We're not going to change onboarding. We're not going to change anything. We're just going to ask you to go fix it. And of course, they said things like, the pay sucks, the benefits suck. You probably suck. They weren't receptive to doing it. But we held our ground, and 90 days later, turnover was down 19%, and we had saved over $4 million. So that chucked made me realize, and I guess this is a big sentence I'm going to
0: say, everything I'd ever been taught in (laughs) HR about cutting turnover was wrong. That is a big statement because traditionally the thought process is there's five major things that go into turnover with management and leadership being 20% of that. But your position is that that's the only thing that matters is getting the leadership in line. It's by far the biggest. And as
1: I uncovered from all that and realized what we had done And this wasn't a momentary thing, but over months, I realized that there was something here to chase as a career. And ultimately, I began my own business to do it. And a publisher contacted me and asked me to write a book. And I was intrigued. And the publisher said, write about your story. So the stories are that I had worked in Siberia to cut turnover. I'd been four kilometers deep in an African gold mine to cut turnover which 60 minutes said about a year and a half ago is the deepest of all the gold mines is the deepest the made hole on earth. I was there. It was deeper than the Titanic. Never do it again. And I had uh, done two lecture series tours across China had been commissioned by the CIA to cut employee turnover. I'd done lots of cool stuff. And others publisher said, well, write a book about your experiences, but I felt like a one trick pony. And instead I reached out to a professor of industrial psychology who was interested in turnover. And his name is Murphy. My name is Finnegan, the jokers who met on St. Patrick's day. And what Murphy did was he sent me emails, usually at night, and he would say, go into this URL, go to this website, use my password. Look at this study that just came from Berkeley. Look at this study that just came from Princeton. So I just kept a notepad of all the things I learned for all these studies over months, never knowing there was an academic underbelly to employee retention. The studies were so specific and so skinny that none of them said, here's how to cut turn. I'll give you an example. Top performers outperform average performers by four to one. If you really believe that, you stop doing engagement surveys because they treat everybody the same. I just kept taking notes. But the dominant thing in all the notes was this. The number one reason employees stay or leave is how much they trust their boss. And it doesn't mean every time somebody quits, they didn't trust their boss, because people quit for a lot of reasons. But it does mean your number one solution needs to become your supervisors instead of a thing. If you think you can win on pay, somebody will not pay you. If you think you can win on benefits, et cetera, you can't win on things when there's so many help wanted signs. And there's so many but the thing that will make people stick is working for somebody
0: they trust and working on a team they feel good. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously that's a cliche that we all say people don't quit companies. They quit their manager. makes perfect sense. And whenever we talk about this industry, we always say that a company's number one resource is their people. And so if you've got good people in leadership aligned and taking care of your internal employees, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that's a very good point. Now, out of curiosity, do you pay attention to like the statistics in the market or are you just strictly focused on the individual company? Like, do you look at like what the numbers over retention over the last few years, typical retention rates? I mean, what are you seeing in regards to that?
1: Well, the trick is how
0: do you take a statement like the number
1: one reason employees stay early is how much they trust their boss and make it actionable. How do you create a solution based on a sentence, right? I mean, that's really the trick. Um, I've interviewed people. But we have a model, a process we've invented, which I'll give you the top five activities. Number activity, one 5 two, five. I'm going to start with the middle, okay? I invented the concept of stay interviews. I did it with a book in 2012. It was the top-selling book in SHRM history for about eight or 10 years. I invented the concept. I did it because if the number one reason employees stay or leave is how much they trust their boss. And it was incumbent upon me, Chuck, to invent a way for those leaders to connect with their team. And you can't build trust by having a class that says, here's the top seven tenets of trust. Uh, always tell the truth. Always keep confidence. It's not going behavior. But it had to be interactive. So I invented the concept to do that. But in order to put that concept into place in an organization... And remember there's five pieces that's the third piece the first piece is you have to convert turnover from percentages to dollars and you do this to wake up the executive team because they're trained to think in dollars but they look at a turnover percent and all they ask is what's the benchmark we don't care about benchmarks because benchmark just means how close are we to average and if you're one hair better than average, you're high-fiving each other like you won the lottery. The other side to it is chief financial officers, finance people come to work every day. They open their screens. They study their screens and are looking for the quarters in the couch. They're thinking, how do I shave a nickel off expenses or add a nickel to revenue? While millions of dollars are going out the door down the hall, supposedly in HR. It's a travesty. One of my bucket lists ideas is Wall Street needs to start demanding turnover percents and dollars lost to turn. So in order to combat that, we invented a model on how to cause turnover. And we require finance to participate. The first thing we do is go into a meeting just with the executive team. And we say, first of all, here's your cost of turnover. Here's the cost for key jobs. Your CFO, Marianne, is in the room. Marianne, do you agree with all this? Yep, yep, that's right. And then we ask for a year's worth of turnover data so we can analyze it into our own charts of turnover by job, turnover by boss, turnover by of service. First, we say, here's the cost. Then we say, given all this data, we're going to recommend two goals, one for all turnover, one for new hire retention. So if you're in manufacturing, there's a good chance that new hire retention goal is to retain 80% of new hires for 60 days. And then we do the math. We say, if you make these goals, you're gonna save this much Now we've got the executive team hooked, but more importantly, we've moved employee retention from HR to operations. Then we can train leaders to do stay interviews. We can show them the cost and the goals. We show them the reporting that they own the goals. They're gonna be tracked. We teach them five questions. They practice asking, listening, probing, taking notes, and building one-on-one plans to keep you. And then we also train them to forecast how long each employee will stay. Forecasting is deliberately simplistic traffic light. Green means this person will be here in a year. Yellow means they'll be gone in six to 12 months by their choice or mine. Red means they'll be gone from zero to six months by their choice or mine. And then we tell them, here's how you're going to be accountable for two new metrics. Your turnover against your goals, your accuracy of forecasts based on it moves. And then we put software into place that tracks everything. And then we come back, we have them go to a schedule of stay interviews. We come back in about 60 days and say, let's look at the pie chart of your greens, yellows, and reds. You said this many are going to be green, this many yellow, this many red. Tell us why the greens stay, but tell us by person who are the yellows and reds you can't get
0: degree and let's figure out how to get the degree. I think that's a very, very powerful process. I was going to bring up that you broke the Power of Stay interviews and I was going to tell you this top selling share and all that good stuff. But one of the questions that I really wanted to ask you is when you're talking to these companies, because obviously, you know, I've been in staffing myself for, I don't want to say how long, but nearly 30 years, I guess. And sometimes when you're presenting these ideas to companies about changing kind of how they operate, because- Some of their problems are systemic, built into their system. How often do you get pushback or resistance from the leadership within the company to actually implement these programs?
1: You know, let's see. I'm not sure I could give you a percent, but I can tell you what an objection sounds like. Billy Bob's one of our key supervisors. He could never do this. That's an objection we might get. Or HR might say, how do we track if they do their standards? And the answer is, it's not your job. It's their boss's job. It's an operations
0: project, it's not your plan. Yeah, that's actually something that we run across quite often, especially in the volume manufacturing commercial world. You'll evaluate a leadership team, the company will be asking you for information on their turnover, why am I having such a problem? And then you find out that maybe there's one supervisor whose bedside manner is not great, and you'll share that with them. And I would agree with you that on a regular basis, they tend to side with that supervisor over the folks that are actually working underneath them. Do you feel like, and I know that you may not be able to give me your percentage, but when you work with these companies, what percentage of the companies do you say actually see the significant mitigation of their turnover as you're talking?
1: Yeah, at least 90%. And and the percent that comes down is at the very least 20%. But I could tell you about a company, a distribution center company with big Million dollar square foot warehouses where turnover is down 58%. I could tell you about one of the biggest manufacturers in the world where we cut turnover by 47%. We just cut nurse turnover in Mount Sinai Hospital by 25%. We're about to expand to all the hospitals there. Another big healthcare company gave us one nursing home where we cut turnover 45% and eliminated all agency staffing. It's all gone. There's a lot of keys to it, but when the executives understand and you look them in the eye and you say, here's the goals, here's the goals. And then one of my favorite tricks is to say, okay, now that we said all these things, executive team, how important is cutting turnover to you? And they're gonna say it's very important. And I'll say, no, what number? What number? Is it fourth? Is it fifth? Is it third? Because I want the same accountability distributions and conversations and PowerPoints as we have for one, two, and three as we have for four. If you're going to work with us, whatever's number five on your list, make it number six. Because the reality is, and we say this to companies, only use us if you're serious about cutting turnover. If you just want to do Employee Appreciation Week, we're not your company because we're going to be business-driven instead of
0: HR-driven. And we're all recovering HR people. We've been there, you know? Yeah. You know, just curious because obviously we all have to pay attention to forces and trends in the market. And One of the other things too that we're trying to pay attention to these days in regards to hiring and mitigating turnover is what is the role of AI and all of that going to be moving in the future? Have you looked into that too much? Have you worked with it? Do you have any thoughts on what that's going to mean to what you do and what we do here in the near future?
1: I don't know. And I say that because even if people tell you, they don't know. Here's what I know, and I'm going to do, I just happen to have this on me, that little show of gel. You see this thing with all these lines as yellow highlights? It's because I've been working with the Census Bureau to fully understand, by sourcing a variety of their charts and projections, how few people are going to enter the workforce in the next 10 years net, when you compare the number of baby boomers who are leaving versus the paucity of people who are entering. All right, To me, this is the dominant issue that you have so many people like me leaving. And if you've never seen this chart, Chuck, everybody who's watching this should see this chart. (laughs) Not the one I held up, but the birth rate in this country has been below the replacement rate for 51 years, since 1972. What that means is every female has to give birth to 2.1 kids to keep the population even. We've been below that for 51 years. And so anybody who's watching data knows this is going to catch up to us, but it hasn't caught up to us because the baby boomers are still around. But now the baby boomers are leaving. And so when you look at the net Increase in the workforce, ages 18 to 64, it's skimpy for the next 10 years. And to make it even more alarming, is beginning in 2030, which will be here soon, 51% of those new entrants to age 64 will have been born outside of the U.S. And that 51% will continue to rise for as far as the Census Bureau can see. If you look at Gallup's data, it'll say Americans aren't too keen on immigration. Why aren't Americans keen on immigration? Because the 24-hour news channels just reports about the Mexican border. And the assumption is, oh, that's immigration. It doesn't report on the doctors coming from India and all these other wonderful people. There's a huge change coming in terms of the workforce. And we, gosh, we've had so much change, especially because of the pandemic. But in terms of sheer
0: numbers, it's going to get worse. No, those are actually great points. And as you said, you have some history and I have some as well. I can recall very clearly, this was had to be 2002 that I was in a seminar about staffing. And this is, again, early in my career. And just hearing them talk about 15 to 20 years when the boomers start retiring out, we're going to have a massive gap in employment. And it is funny that I actually knew that stat. It's one that I use when I talk to companies about why they need staffing companies is because here in the near future, there's gonna be a definite short supply of talent and it's gonna be about helping recruit away from other companies. They're gonna need agencies to help them do that. One other point I wanted to tag in on is as you said earlier, you know, what happens when we have robots? What happens when ChatGPT comes along? Well, I think those are the same questions. You, you went 30 years. I think those are the same questions we had When agriculture came along, whenever big farming machines came along, how many hands did that put out of the field in order to harvest that field? And those folks found other work. And I think that with these two stats that we're talking about, the fact that we don't have enough people that we probably, I think the last time I saw the stat, it was around 5 million more jobs than people available for those jobs. In addition to the boomers retiring and all that, I think those two things will help mitigate each other. Yeah, I agree with you on that. So actually, it's funny. A lot of the things that I was going to ask you, we kind of covered because as we were talking, you brought a, some of them up. If it's your secret sauce a little bit, you don't have to to tell me, but can you give me an idea? Let's say, for instance, you were asked to talk to me about a stay interview. You were going to do a stay interview with me. What would that look like? Yep. Five
1: questions. Five heavily researched questions. They're the only ones you need. For the first one you do with somebody, the fifth one you do with somebody, and we say to our client companies, do two stay interviews within the new hard goal period. So if that goal is retain eighty percent for sixty days, then do one in the first two weeks and do one at the sixth. Right. So get on early, and then do one with everybody, and then continue doing that at least once a year or twice a year if you want to. And of course, some people will say, oh, we don't have time. So we literally go into their meetings with them and say, which ones can you eliminate? Which ones can you make every other week instead of every week? Because we make time, we create time. An actual stay view is, I'll tell you the five questions, and it's a little hard to discern them when I can't write them out, but I'll be slow in terms of the way I do it. So five questions, very heavily researched. The first question says, What do you look forward to each day when you commute to work? Or when you walk down the hall, whatever it is. That question has two jobs, Chuck. The first job is because it brings the employee's mind into day-to-day work. Because we know what makes many employees leave, if not the majority, is day-to-day frustrations with work, with a boss, with process, with equipment, with peers. It's that stuff. So what do you look forward to each day when you commute to work? What brings the mind into here and now? it also changes the brain from being negative to positive because our brains are built in such a way that we are all cave people with clubs every input from our senses we first judge it as do i need to protect myself that's how we're built so we're going to change the brain to be positive we're going to change the brain to be day to day the second question is what are you learning here we ask that question to begin the meeting with low-hanging fruit, or somebody said to me recently, fruit on the ground. Because if somebody says, I'm not learning nothing, I just want to come home, he said, great. If somebody says, I'm kind of bored, well, tell me where, while, well, I got to think about, well, come back in on Tuesday and tell me, or I'm going to get some ideas too. Because as we teach leaders, this isn't career development, which mystifies everyone. And we don't want to talk about career development because most people don't have a plan and most companies don't have careers. That's just the reality of it. So we say, what do you want to learn? And we can coach people into agreeing to learn if they have any incentive to do so. We can connect them with anybody on the campus who can meet with them three times to teach them something. We can connect them to a YouTube video to learn anything. I couldn't run our house without YouTube. We can connect them to other sources. It's easy to do. Once you do it once as a supervisor, you got it. It's not complicated to do. So now we've got them into here and now. We've given them something easy we can do to help them. The third question is, why do you stay here? Now, it's kind of the mystery question, but here comes the therapist in me. Because we ask that question, first of all, because if we know the answer to number one, what do you look forward to? And number three, why do you stay here? We know what makes them happy. And we can think about current job or future jobs where they can do more of what makes them happy. But three also precedes four. Four years. when was the last time that you thought about leaving and what prompted it? Now, notice four doesn't say, hey, have you ever thought about leaving? This says when, because everybody does and we want them to be comfortable telling us the answer. But three, going back to three, why do you stay here? Most people don't know the answer going to say, well, I got to pay the bills, to which our managers then say, nah, come on, we all have to pay the bills. You could leave here and make more money or that could. And I'm grateful you don't. You don't stay here for the money. Why do you stay here? And this requires the employee to discover why they stay and announce it to themselves. And we want them to announce to themselves why they stay before we go to four, which is the last time we thought about leaving. We'll prompt And five says, what can I do as your manager to make work here better for you? So when you ask those questions, but you're trained to ask, listen, probe, take notes, ask, listen, probe, take notes, ask, listen, probe, take notes, take a page of notes, it's pretty easy
0: to say, here's something I think we could do to make work here. Those are phenomenal questions. And I personally am fascinated by The concept and the way that you're approaching this i'm going to butcher this quote it's one of my favorite quotes ever and i learned it early in my career in regards to sales and it was and again i'm not sure i'm gonna get it 100 right but basically the quote is i don't care how exceptional you are in your discipline if you don't understand human beings you will nullify all your weapons and i really really think that that is a phenomenal quote because again we talk about lizard brain we talk about a lot of different concepts when it comes to sales and I personally have found that most of the time you need to think psychological, not logical, and dealing with human beings on a regular basis. I think that's a phenomenal process. I've actually played a little silly here, but I've read your book and I definitely enjoyed it. And so I truly appreciate you writing it. Thank you for that. And I've enjoyed our conversation today. I have one last question for you that I ask everybody, uh, Dick, and it's one that I ask for me. What is the best piece of advice you've ever given or been given in your career? To read well-written biographies
1: of successful people to learn how many times they fail. I love Outliers. Have you read that one? Yes, I have read them a long time ago. But I was given that advice in my first job working for a university when I was about 25 years old. And I just looked at the man who said it and I thought, this is somebody who thinks... Way beyond what am I going to do at work today? This is a smart guy. You know, I'll I'll share with you. Is there time for one more little tale that I think would be interesting? Absolutely. This is your show right now. You go ahead. So I had a theory. My theory, Chucky, is the most important two hours for turnover or engagement are the two hours immediately after work. What that means is you're done with work, you get in your car, your truck, you get on train, you go to the gym, hit a punching bag, you go home at dinner with your family, whatever you do for about two hours. You want to stop thinking about work, but you can't because your brain is tired. It can't turn off the switch. But the interjections of work thoughts or emotions, they are, I really liked it. Oh, but I didn't like that. You're not thinking chronologically hour to hour. You're thinking about the emotions, the highs and lows of your days. You get isolated on this one thing while you're driving home. You can't get off of that thing. My theory is after a few months, a few years, whatever it is, you're going to wear up or wear down, okay? You're just, ultimately, you're going to say that. So there's a joke client here, which is when you're having dinner and somebody says, how was your day, dear? Nobody says, my day was okay. I just wish we had pet insurance because nobody cares. Nobody cares about so many things we think they care about. But what they care about and what they're going to talk about over dinner is their boss and their colleagues and their duties. That's where they live. That's where they live. And it's the point where the prism or the lens of how an employee sees their company is how they see their relationship with their boss, their colleagues and their duties. There's a story here, which is, so first of all, Forbes Magazine reads this piece I write every week, and they republish some parts of it. They republished this once, and I was in a meeting with the top 25 executives of a pharmaceutical company in California, and somebody brought this up, and I explained to the theory and one man stood up. She was so enraged, and he said, not me. I tell my people work like balance. You never talk about work when you're home. And I thought about saying, how you're at one in a thousand man now sit down <laughs> but I said you know what let's find out I said we have the top 25 executives and then ask you all to be honest raise your arm until last week you talked about your boss over everybody raise their arms 25 out of 20. So now when we train managers to do standard views we say you're on the menu Everything,
0: you decide what they say about you that you're on the menu, Yeah. I think that's great and accurate. I will say for me though, I think most of the time when I'm having those conversations, I'm in the shower arguing with myself about what I should or should not have said that day (laughs) at work. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually somewhere around 9 PM when I start getting my brain to relax and stop thinking about how that day went. But no, I think that's a phenomenal theory. And and once again, I don't think there's anything that we've talked about today that I don't completely agree with. I really, truly appreciate your time. And I appreciate your knowledge and thank you so much for coming on the show. Before we jump off, can you please just tell everybody where can they get your book? Where can they follow you? Social media stuff, whatever you would like to share with the audience. The very best thing to do is just email
1: me. And my email address is d s and Dick, Finnegan, F-I-N-N-E-G-A and D Finnegan at the letter C as in Charles, followed by a dash or a hyphen, C-Suite, S-U-I-T-E, analytics.com. D Finnegan at C-SuiteAnalytics.com. The books are all on Amazon, and there's five of them. And I could tell you which book you should get depending on your interests. They're all like children to me, and they're all different. They're all very different. But email me, and I'll put you on the weekly blog list. And this week's blog, which came out today, is named Confirmed. Return to work equals higher turn. Last week's blog was about if you really want to get to the curve and try to build a four-day work week, and here's an example if you're in manufacturing. The one to ten steps on how to do. So it's all very specific, very tactical,
0: and it's all about cutting turn. Well, that remote work topic is one that we're all talking about these days. So I would love to schedule to have you come back on and get your thoughts on that. If you'd be willing to do that in the future. Just give me a whistle, Chuck. You can find all right. me. I dude. I want to say a big thank you to Dick Finnegan for joining me on the show today and sharing strategies and solutions to improve worker retention and engagement. I would also like to thank all of you for joining us today. And if you enjoyed the conversation, be sure to subscribe so you never miss another episode. And for more information on any of the innovative workforce solutions you've heard about here, visit trcstaffing.com for all the latest. Until the next time, I'm Chuck, and this has been Workforce Water Cooler, presented by TRC. Thanks again, Dick. Have a great day. Thank you, Chuck. You too. Bye, everyone.